Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that three times a week, the Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. Man, Dominique Foxworth, hardest working man at ESPN. That's the Right Time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast, and Monday and Wednesday are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks offensive holding happens when his mom picks him up at the dog park. He says it's disrespectful and embarrassing. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Gimes. I am joined today by longtime friend of the show, Charles McDonald. Hi. What's up, Mina? Good to have you back, bud. It's been a minute. Um, just to update folks on things that have changed in your life, you are now... Uh, is it senior NFL NFL writer? What's your exact title? Uh, Th- like did senior I you? NFL reporter at large. I just call myself an NFL writer. Yeah, NFL I'm at, writer. I'm at Yahoo now, so I'm I'm gonna be done bouncing around for a little bit. You know, you do still have um your excellent podcast, The Exemplist. Check it out. Uh, and I <laughs> when I reached out to you, so usually on Thursday episodes, I kind of look ahead to the weekend. But the first thing I said when I reached out to you was, "This week's games suck." Yeah. I've got them in front of me. Like, what is arguably the best game of this coming weekend? Uh, I don't know if this is just me being biased, but I think that like Falcons Bengals is kind of yeah. interesting. No, f- from a narrative perspective, but outside of that, that's that's kind of all I got. Yeah, I mean, not many teams facing each other with winning records. Um, like, I guess Seahawks Chargers weirdly has a little juice in kind of a similar fashion. I would yeah. say, like. The Seahawks are the Falcons and the Chargers are the Bengals in that analogy. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of lopsided games. And to that end, we're not going to talk about the games. I asked you to do something different, which is, you know, we are six weeks into the NFL season. We're kind of have a feel for who some of these teams are. So I asked you to pick the units across the league that have surprised you in a good way and ones that have let you down. And I have done the same. Are you ready? I am ready. Very ready. Should we start with the positives or the negatives? Let's start with the negatives. Just get it out there. <laughs> I'm a negative kind of guy today. You are. I, that's good because usually I, um, well, I, I changed it so that my pod, my pod with Dominique, we do winners, woofs, woofs, winners because I was going winners, winners, woofs, woofs. And then at the end, it was like, well, womp, womp. Um, so this way we get to end. This is good, actually, because this will keep people listening because they'll want to hear if their team. And we've got some surprising ones finished in the positive section. Uh, so why don't you go first? Tell me something, a, a unit that has let you down. Uh, as a, you know, I, I think people who have heard me on this podcast before, uh, know that, you know, I'm a big Matt Ryan fan just from his time being with the Falcons, but man, I thought, uh, I, I, I think he's starting to pick it up a little bit, but I thought he had a little bit more left in the tank based on what he showed, uh, last year. You know, maybe it's just, oh, I spent 15 years in Atlanta and I'm, getting used to a new supporting cast or maybe it's hey i'm like 38 years old and i was drafted in 2008 uh i i, I just thought that they would be a lot better uh outside of him too you know the offensive line hasn't been great uh jonathan taylor has had probably like the worst start to his start to mm-hmm. a uh, season in his career so far i uh, you know i i, I and it, it's funny though it's funny though because we sit here and I, I like I think the Colts are a really disappointing team, but they're still three, two, and one with their winning record. Uh <laughs> and just beat the Jaguars on Sunday. So 
Uh, maybe they can just fart their way into well, the playoffs with the AFC South, but I, I think as a whole, their offense has been pretty underwhelming. That's a referendum, though, for the league because like a yeah. lot of the teams we're going to talk about that are disappointing are like fine record wise. Like you know, right. it's just been such a a bleep show from a parody Easter's perspective. Um, I guess not from a fan perspective. Fans are probably loving this. I feel like we hate it because it's like hard to get a grasp on things and our jobs to literally professional graspers and rest fans are like, Hey, my team's relevant still. <laughs> so I guess it's good for the NFL. Um, first I'd like to say that, uh, I will no longer be disrespecting the Colts after the God Jim Ursay came out That's right. and <laughs> aggressively went after Dan Snyder, um, in an incredible move. He said, uh, like, basically, he said he's not afraid of Dan Snyder digging up dirt on him because what are you going to do? Because <laughs> it's all out there, which I freaking love that energy. Um, and like, there's not a whole lot to say on that right now because uh, I, I still kind of feel like it's not going to go anywhere with the owners. But just simply having an NFL owner say that he probably shouldn't be amongst their ranks is a pretty big deal. But okay, so put if, I, in if, I just... if I got called out by Jim Mercer, I would have some serious <laughs> self-reflecting to do. Like, damn, <laughs> I'm really messing up out here. <laughs> Honestly, though, rapidly rising up the ranks of likable NFL owners with the single move, Ursay. Um, yeah, the Colts, I, I mean, I think, you know, I've talked about them a little bit this year. I think the biggest thing with them is it kind of feels like the entire case for them coming into the season turned out to be wrong, which is that they'd have a good offensive line, still have a dominant run game. Um, Matt Ryan could point guard this offense to success, you know, take care of the football. And like literally the opposite of all of those things has happened yep. at the beginning of the season. Um, terrible run game, 31st in rushing EPA, actually much worse than passing, especially after uh, Ryan showed a bit last week, which we'll talk about. But the offensive line has been the real story for me. I mean, just uh, they've been mixing it up. In the last game, I, I saw that they had they moved Dennis Kelly to left tackle after trying out the rookie Bernard Raymond there. Um, but they are, you know, 31st in pass block win rate. Um, and then when you watch the run game, it's just, I mean, when Taylor was playing or Hines or whatever, he was just getting banged before. I mean, it was just really, really bad run blocking. 29th in yards before contact per run. And yeah, it's that's been... I mean, we can talk about Matt Ryan, like looking a little bit cooked arm wise, but the offensive line is was really the shock for me this season. Yeah, I think when you if you came to me before the season and said, hey, you know, the 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 Colts this year, they're really going to struggle to throw the ball. Matt Ryan's cooked. I, I could definitely see a case where that happens. But the fact yeah. that they just can't run the ball, it, it's it's one of the biggest stories of the season, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they, they've just had injuries to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Naeem Hines, which I think is why they end up throwing the ball like 58 times against the Jaguars uh, on Sunday, which was wild. It worked. <laughs> why, it, it worked. It worked. You oh, my God. Can you imagine Iceman. how Matt Ryan's arm felt this week? Uh, so I, I just, how does it feel all the time? Like, just generally. Like, I can't imagine that 15 years of throwing a football feels very good. And then to come out 58 times and running away from Trevon Walker while he's throwing you on the ground and getting rough in the passer penalties. Oh I, I can't imagine that Matt Ryan's having a great deal of fun. But here they are. Second place in the AFC South. Uh, the only team with a positive point differential in that division is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who sit at two and four, uh, which is, you know, it, it's football. It's weird. But, yeah, I, I just can't believe that the Colts have been this bad running the ball. Uh, and I, I just have to believe at some point that's going to pick up because I just feel like they have too many talented players that are part of that specific operation for it to be bad for the entire season. Yeah, you know, I... um. I've talked to people who are smarter than me, Jeff Saturday, about the Colts run game and some of the problems and the blocking. And it, it uh, 
sounds like a lot of it has to do with sort of the predictability, predictability, pardon me, of the run game, which I found interesting and explains, I think, to some degree, like it, it, it just doesn't make sense that even with some turnover uh, in that offensive line and you know uncertainty at left tackle, notably, that it would decline that much um and I, you know also like the presence of matt ryan like as as much as you like as bad as carson Wentz was he was a threat to carrying football at times so it does yeah. change their offense i will say the one the encouraging thing i found from this week the jags game was again not the run game by any means but it does look like they might have found something with the combination of Pittman and pierce right which um, who Alec Pierce, who was their rookie draft pick, has been injured a lot of this season. And, you know, when you kind of saw the vision, which is Pittman working inside on those digs and, you know, intermediate routes that Matt Ryan likes to throw, and then Pierce as the boundary receiver, it there's something there. I You know, so I think if I had to come and say something positive about the Colts, I would say that at least <laughs> it looks like from a skill player perspective, things might be turning around. Something positive. There's something there. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh i'm gonna do uh mine um this is oh my god i could talk about this all day i said this to you the browns defense i i think Oof. actually of my three might be the single most disappointing you, because the other ones there's explanations for like loss of players and injuries and whatnot and the browns defense just sucks yeah <laughs> they suck suck and it's mostly the same players um this is a unit that finished 11th in dboa last year it was not great against the run but very good against the pass currently 32nd versus the pass 31st versus the run um they look like i don't even know like where to begin i'll just start with the pass defense because i mean the run defense i think kind of i thought would be a problem because of the issues at defensive tackle i talked about the pass defense looks like half the time they look like they haven't practiced together it's wild. And then I think the play that comes back to that I think about with the Browns pass defense, there's a play on Sunday where the Patriots, they oh came out God. and they, they they ran like a two man route, right? Like where the, it, it's just like a, a someone's running across and then the tight end on the other side of the field is running a corner route and everyone else is blocking. Like it's literally two people are running routes. And somehow the tight end running a corner, which is like the one guy you should never lose, ends up wide open uh, along the sideline. And I guess that's how you kind of get... Was this when D- Delpit fell? For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delpit, man, he is oh my God. a, a rough, rough season. I don't know if that's you know him coming back from his injuries relations, but man, I, I thought that he would, he would get off to a better start based on the guy that he was. Uh, at LSU, but just in general, like this this Browns defense is terrible. Like you have that play where Bailey Zappi comes in and, and kind of cuts you up. On, Zappi on was destroyed, <laughs> which, which is wild. I mean, it wasn't. The dudes were wide, <laughs> wide ass open, open. Wide open, and they definitely came in with like a they completely sold out against the run in this game. And to some degree, I understand it, but like that didn't work they're either. selling out against the run, and there's leaving you know freaking. Uh, every single Patriots wide receiver wide open. Not, that's not just an exaggeration, but like it was incredible how easy uh, Bailey Zappi, Zappi had it. Yeah, and then even if you go back to their, their game against the Falcons, Marcus Mariota, he throws an interception to Denzel Ward. And then Arthur Smith, after that, he's like, all right, we're done with this throwing thing. We're going to run the ball. And they ran the ball 14 straight plays. It, they're they're yeah. not hiding it at all. And some guy named Caleb Huntley is just ripping off runs after run after run after run. And you would we'll think talk about that, that. Yeah, we'll, say, we'll get to that later in the show. But I, I just find it hard that hard to believe that this team can't even like 
withhold just basic like football tendencies. All right, we threw an interception. They're going to run the ball, and we can't stop the run whatsoever. I so I want to ask you kind of more bigger picture what you think of how this defense is built. First of all, the the hilarious thing is Miles Garrett is still like having a defensive player of the year season amidst all of this, just like absolutely doing everything he can, both in, uh, even in run defense, like uh, in this game, it's never his fault. I want to start there. It's almost never his fault. And Jadamian Clowney didn't play in this game. Um, And then uh, one of the other corners was out. Williams, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, or maybe Ward was, I'm trying to remember in this one. I think it was Greedy. Uh, no, no, it was Ward. Ward was out in this one. It, but it like it doesn't matter because like they're all it's not like Denzel Ward is playing good football this year, frankly. But I want to ask you like, OK, so they come in, they invest a lot of their resources into pass coverage in terms of draft picks. Right. And then they have Miles Garrett, who's one of the best edge rushers in football. Um, they go out, they get Jeremiah Osakormoa, who's a speedy pass rusher. They basically do all the stuff that nerds want defenses to do. Do you attribute this their failure at all to roster construction, or do you think it's simply coaching? Because watching Atlanta, I was like, this roster doesn't have a chance against this team. Yeah, I, I think I think I think a lot of it is roster construction. If you want to look up front, the the defensive tackle situation was not anything to get Brutal. excited about coming into the season. I think Perrion Winfrey, Winfrey is a guy that has a lot of upside, but I mean, to ask a fourth round rookie to come in and just kind of be one of the dudes for your defensive line next to Taven Bryan, I, I think that that was always going to be uh, a, a tough spot for them to to kind of wiggle out of this season. But I think the, the, the pass game is so much more frightening because Denzel Ward got paid. He used a first round pick on uh, Greg Newsom uh, last season. Greedy Williams got activated this weekend. He's a former second-round pick. You paid for John Johnson third. Grant Delpit was a second-round pick. Like, these are guys who are, like, basically as as much of an investment as you can put into the secondary without just going like a Madden franchise spending spree. They've done it, and they're getting horrible, horrible results. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would imagine that if it doesn't come at the end of the season, Joe Woods will probably be gone at some point. Yeah. Uh, during the year just because the the performance, frankly, for what they've uh, invested into is unacceptable. You know, I, I actually looked at uh, Spelltrack earlier today and the Browns are ninth in spending on defense this, for, for this year <sighs> in the entire NFL. And they're getting, you know, bottom two or bottom one results. I don't really know how you can fix that without kind of tweaking your entire roster, which isn't going to happen until the offseason. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just struck me. I mean, going back to back with the Falcons and Patriots, like, oh, this is just bad matchups, right? Like, but, you know, that's, there's a lot of teams built like that now. So not a lot, but like, you know, a lot of the best offenses in the league and they just don't stand, they, it just seems like they don't stand a chance against them. Um, all right, you go. Uh, Cardinals offense. And I think that uh, Kyler Murray kind of summed it up pretty well uh, after they lost to Seattle. You're paraphrasing here, but he basically said that playing offense hasn't been this hard for him since he was a rookie in the NFL. And that's exactly what it looks like <laughs> when the Cardinals on offense. It's just, I know I know DeAndre Hopkins has been out. Uh, Hollywood Brown got hurt this past weekend, but it, it it just looks stale and for like constipated for, for lack of a better term. Uh, I, I don't, I, I look at, this is a situation where I look at it and I feel like, I know that Kyler is a lot better than the numbers that he's been putting up this year. I mean, we've seen him play. We've seen him a, be better. Right, yeah. a, a lot better in 
this offense with the same offensive coach. But for whatever reason, like it's just gotten stale. It, they can't really get anything going. They just kind of seem stuck in mud. And I don't really know what, what's next for them because Kyler got an extension. Cliff got an extension. Steve Kahn got an extension. I know that, you know, with the owner, with, with the head coach and the GM, if the owner wants to, he can kind of eat those contracts. But still, it's not like that's something that NFL owners are looking to do. So I don't really even know what the fix is here in long term. So I complained about this a lot earlier in the week. Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm constantly complaining about the Cardinals, but um, and I'm complaining Cardinals fans because I, I, you should be better. It's right. like insane that you have a quarterback who we've seen be one of the more exciting players in football, and yet you have the most one of the most, if not the most, boring offenses in the NFL. Like that's not right. But let me ask you this: like schematically, okay, as you look around the league. Is there any offense that you think Kyler would be a better fit for, or at least like principles you see on other teams that you feel like the Cardinals could embrace with the talent that they have on their roster with Hopkins coming back? Uh, There's a team in Georgia that is leading the NFL in (laughs) pistol usage and I think option usage as well. Uh, I'm not saying that they need to go as far as the Falcons did in terms of like hide your quarterback mode, but I do think that there's definitely an avenue for Cliff to make this a little bit easier on Kyler. Like there's just, it, it, it kind of feels like they get into these games sometimes and they don't really have like a good feel on where they even want to start. Uh, and to me, that that's just a, a red flag on the coaching part. And I, I, I wonder like, what is the deal here where there have been times where Cliff Kingsbury, like he looks like he's the perfect coach for Kyler Murray. I mean, even even yeah. this, the start of last year, what they started like seven and zero or, or eight and one or something like yeah. that, uh, and then Kyler got hurt and they won some games with Colt McCoy. And to, to even suggest that that team could do something like that this year uh, seems crazy. But I think when you look around the league, there's just some of these teams that are you know Baltimore, Atlanta that that have kind of committed to their quarterback skill set uh, a little bit more. I think they're. It, it's easy to look at that and say, hey, maybe we can grab some ideas or some plays for that because it's not like Kyler hasn't run them before. They're just not really making anything easy for him right now. I, I'm going to repeat something I said, which is there's just zero deception, you know? And that's just such a theme amongst the good offenses around the league. Deception and then kind of game planning for opponent. And it just feels like they just roll the same thing out every week. And um it is and, and like the reality is they're going to be better with Hopkins back just because he is DeAndre Hopkins but also because that's it's very evident in Cliff Kingsbury's offense in particular you really need that X receiver who can just move the chains and that's obviously not been present <laughs> Greg Dortch brought a little bit then he didn't play against Seattle for some reason um but uh yeah it's just super frustrating to watch and it's I mean they need yeah, some size at, at, at wide receiver size. too. Yeah, hundred uh, I mean, <laughs> percent. We were laughing. Uh, you know, me and my buddy Stephen and Justice. We were laughing about this before the season. You got Kyler Murray, Andy Isabella, who's who's gone now, but Marquise Brown, Greg Dorch. It's like the oh smallest God. offense ever. And I think that getting Robbie Anderson to the fold. Hopefully, he's motivated and. <laughs> whatever happened on you Sunday is not following him around and you get the entree Hopkins back. I think those are actually two really important additions for what the yeah. Cardinals need. And hopefully it can kind of spark but them to just get like back scoring points. The TX off defense. I was saying how they couldn't defend play action. They also can't defend tight ends. They didn't even like target Zach Ertz for, I mean, I, I like it doesn't, it's like, okay, here's what this defense is weak at attack it. And it didn't feel like 
they were doing that. Um, yeah, I think the size is huge unless you love jump balls to Marquise Brown versus Tariq Woolen, which is unfortunately the uh, play where he got hurt, but that was the interception. Yeah. That's a little bit on Kyler, too. Don't throw that ball. But um, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to go to one that is not actually since it's kind of a little Thursday night football preview. So this is not like they're bad, but just disappointing. I thought the Saints defense would be better than they've been. So this is more of like an underwhelming thing rather than a like they're bad. Um, currently, they're 15th in EPA per play, but the last three weeks, it's been 28th. They've really struggled. They don't get a ton of consistent pressure. They're 31st in pressure rate with a standard rush, and they don't blitz a lot. And when they do get pressure, they really don't bring back bring down the quarterback, so they're not getting big negative plays on defense. Um, and then, yeah, it's like the defensive tackles are good against the run, but you're not getting much push from there. The linebackers are very good. We talked about this a little bit, Warner and Davis. But behind them, it just feels like, oh, you're kind of seeing the attrition of losing your Marcus Williams um, and, you know, your Malcolm Jenkins. I think the safety play has been lesser. Didn't have Lattimore last week. I don't think they're going to have Lattimore this week, which might actually lead me to pick Arizona in this game. But it's just kind of like on the whole, it just kind of feels like, oh, this is a unit that's like they lost players and it shows. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like, Saints, you know, a lot of people were looking at the Saints over the years to be like, oh, see, Cap's fake. This is why it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. But then th- this is this is where you get yeah. to the part where it matters, where you have to rely on, you know, a Tyron Matthew who, who's clearly not the player that he used to be. Uh, and the yeah. depth just kind of, it, it thins out on you real quick. And you need, you need in order for like a, a team like the Saints to work, in order for their operation to work as it does and for them to win games, they need their elite players to play like elite players. And right. if if Marcus, if, if Marshawn Lattimore is not going to be on the field, if Tyron Matthew is a couple steps slower than he used to be, in uh in houston in kansas city then you you see it's something it's an operation that can fall apart really quick uh you know i I think that they've they've needed some juice up front too i think they've been a little bit too reliant on cam jordan for too long now Uh, i know marcus davenport's a guy that can come in and make a play every now and then but i think you're starting to see at at some some spots in this defense like there are aging players that yeah. You need the help of deaf players that they aren't able to acquire because their cap situation has been so wild over the past few years. It, it's kind of like the Rams, right? Like when you start running out of bullets, every bullet has to count. And well, actually, I'm going to talk about the Rams, but I think that's exactly what you're saying. Like they're a team where I think in the past, it's like, okay, if Marshawn Lattismore not isn't playing, maybe, you know, we've got CJ Gardner Johnson in the mix and the pass rush is really deep and our safeties are really good. But all of a sudden, when we start pulling out the pieces, from the Jenga tower, if you pull out any of those core players, the whole thing comes tumbling down. So it's like kind of like the margin for error is just very, very small. And yeah. Are you going to yeah. pick the Cardinals? Um, I'm going to pick my mental health and not watch much of that. <laughs> okay. Just as a Saints hater, just one last point here. Uh, they're about to, if the draft were held today, I know there's a long way to go, but if it were held today, they will be sending the fifth overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles, and that really warms my heart. Freaking Howie Rosen, man. Just smoked the NFL over yeah. the last year. Unreal. Yeah. Um, okay, who you got next? Um, all right. I'm, I'm going to go with, I guess my last one is the Raiders' defense. Now, I don't really know how much of this is, like, a super disappointing because I wasn't expecting them to have, like, a, a top defense, but 
I, I was expecting them to be a little bit more productive than they've been so far. Um, you know, you signed Chandler, Chandler Jones to uh, play across from Max Crosby. Max Crosby is leading the NFL in sacks with six, but the Raiders have eight as a team. Uh, so he's <laughs> just, you know, it's like Atlas just sitting down and, and holding the Raiders defense on his entire back. I, I do think Chandler Jones has probably played better than his sack numbers suggest. Uh, he's gotten some pressures, but man, I think on the back end, uh, I'm a big fan it's of, bad. of, it's bad. I was a big fan of, uh, Patrick Graham and some of the things that he did in New York with the Giants. I didn't think that he was like the problem there at all, but, uh, it's definitely been a rough start as far as his past defense goes. And, uh, I would imagine in this off season, you'll see them load up on some corners, uh, because that that's really where they they kind of stick right now. Yeah. And I think if you're going to be Patrick Graham and be a guy that plays with all these exotic fronts and really try to get after teams with some of your blitzing uh, blitzing schemes, you need the secondary to do their job, and they're just not right now. So that's actually my yeah where I was going to like this was the you know this watching the Gus Bradley Raiders and the insistence on playing cover three it was kind of infuriating at times because it was so predictable. But I actually think that might have hid some of the issues that they had talent-wise in the back end, especially the Jonathan Abram of it all, because he could be, you know, in the box. Um, but uh, beyond that, I think with the corners as well, they just don't have the guys to play man. They're allowing the highest QBR in the NFL in man coverage, and they're playing a lot more man this year, and it's just not working. They're actually really good against the run uh, <laughs> in most advanced metrics. But um, yeah, I, it, it's as simple as coverage. I just don't think... I guess, and and yeah, for me, it is disappointing too, not because I thought they would be good. I didn't think that this was going to be a good defense, but I guess I'd hope that a change at defensive coordinator might help them, but it feels like the talent thing is probably too hard for him to overcome. Yeah, it, it's it's tough. and They got they kind of lucked out with Russell Wilson and the Broncos offense being a total dud, but <laughs> I, I, that, that's going to be tough when you have to play Mahomes as they already saw Monday night and then Herbert eventually. And I should say, they're actually like, um, Dominique and I talked about the Mahomes game. They were playing a ton of man against Mahomes, and they were actually like sticking on them. The problem was Mahomes was just like flawless against yeah. it. But... He's going to break those man cover schemes at some point, and you're going to have to make a play that only he can make, and it's it's going to break you. And then the second half of that game, when the four-man rush stopped getting home, it was just over. Like yeah. the first half, Jones and Crosby were like taking over, but that's it. They're Jones and like, they have to take over for this team to be any good. Um, all right, we're breezing through these negatives. I want to spend more, a little bit more time on the positives because I'm a very positive person. Yeah. Uh, I alluded to this, the Rams offense near the bottom of the NFL in just about every metric. Um, let me start off with a question for you. What do you think is a bigger problem, the lack of receiving talent or the offensive line? Uh, it's the offensive line. I, yeah. it's so bad. It's, it's so it's bad. So bad. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's one of those units like where you you look at it coming to the season, you're like, man, we really cannot afford to lose a player up front, and they have done nothing but but lose guys. I, yeah. You know, no booms out for the season, right? Uh, they've yes. had some yeah. some injuries on the interior, and man, like they cannot block a soul. Like, I, I remember uh, two weeks ago when they played the Rams, um, or when they played the Cowboys. Excuse me. And going into the game, you know, the Rams, they were like five-point favorites. I'm like, huh? Has everyone, has everyone watched this, the Rams team? Like, you you expect that this team is going to be able to block DeMarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons? Where? How? Uh, and it, it, it didn't happen. And, you know, the Rams, they're, they're kind of in a spot where 
it's like almost like the reverse Super Bowl in some of these games where you go to the Super Bowl and you have Von Miller and Aaron Donald against probably the worst offensive line of football with the Bengals. It's like it's that big of a talent difference. And now this year, they have like one of the worst offensive yeah. line of football, if not the worst offensive line of football. And when they go up against these teams that can really get after you with elite players, they just have absolutely no chance. Michael Parsons crushed them. Von Miller crushed them. I assume that the 49ers, oh, the 49ers did crush them uh, in that primetime game a few weeks ago. It, it's just... It's so bad. And honestly, I think that given the circumstances, Matthew Stafford has kind of played all right. Like just just based on he's just in hell, man. He's, he's, he's in, in hell. hell. Yeah. yeah. But they can't run the ball. They can't block anybody. Um, I, I think even if they were just to have like a league average offensive line, that would help them so much or even just below average because where they are right now, like you're at the point where your offensive line is so bad. It's probably just going to take your season. Um. This is also kind of like per the Browns thing. It's interesting to take a step back and ask if it was foreseeable because the Rams do, I believe, rank near the bottom of the NFL in their spending on offensive lines. I pulled this a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure it was bottom five. Um, I mean, Havenson has to be the only guy who's got a second contract on there, right? They Well, they've, they've given like these little dinky contracts to like yeah. Ryan Allen. Like they're smaller, but they don't. Yes. like And they give Joe Noboom a contract, but he's not. It's not a lot. You know, it's um okay, wait here, I got it up. Positional breakdown. Let's see. Thank you, Spotrack. Is it Spotrack or Spotrack? Spot uh, Spotrack. I've I've heard people say Spotrack. I don't like that, so I say Spotrack. It's weird. It's Spotrack. <laughs> it doesn't like, sound like right. Coach Spo. Um the most expensive offensive line is the Colts, by the way. Yeah. Uh number two is the Cardinals. Wow. Wouldn't have guessed that. Three is the Eagles and then the Browns. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, the Rams are Oh, Jesus, they're bottom. Wow. <laughs> well, folks. <laughs> There's a problem right there. That'll do it. Um, I, I think that the Rams... Below the like, Bears. Imagine spending less oof. on your offensive line than the Bears. I don't even really know how that's possible. Who are the Bears even paying? Like, I feel like everyone there is just on a minimum rookie contract. That's they did They did crazy. draft a kid, Logan Bruss, in their second, with their, like, one draft pick this year. And he got hurt, a season-ending injury during the preseason. But I actually don't yeah. think he was going to start. And then when you look at, like, okay, are reinforcements coming in? The answer is not really, like... There are guys coming back, like, I don't know, Bobby Evans, Brian Allen, but those aren't good, like, upper, above average linemen. I mean, you, like, it's just, it's brutal. And, and I watched, have, have you watched, did you watch the Browns Panthers game? It's a tough watch. <laughs> but, it was um, funny. It was funny from the Panthers' perspective. Oh, my God. Well, from the Rams' perspective, McVeigh, I would describe his offense at this point as just drawing blood from a stone. Like, yeah. He is scheming up every six-yard like gain. Um, the run game is all just like jets. He brought back the jet sweeps in a huge way. Um, he, it's kind of going back to a little bit more like the 2017-18 stuff, the offense a little bit. Uh, well, that's I mean less so actually because that the offense had a good offensive line, but like the it, he's just using any misdirection tool he has to try to get guys going. I will say. Um, and they did get Allen Robinson finally going. I don't know how sustainable that is, candidly. Not. I think the <laughs> the most uh, the the two things I think that are most the biggest upside for the Rams at this point are I do think getting Van Jefferson back will help because I actually think he can separate and stretch the field, and that has been woefully absent in their offense. Um, not that he's like you know a superstar or anything. I also think they're probably going to get OBJ or sign someone. And then um, I, I think it's better for them to have Daryl Henderson be RB1. They didn't really yeah. 
do it in this game, but like he was so clearly better than Cam Akers. I don't know why he's like I don't know why he didn't Cam do it too. in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it was funny to me when uh you know I'm I'm sure Cam's a great guy, he's been working hard, but when you know they said that he had, you know, was asking for a trade or whatever, I was like, okay. <laughs> what if, and I honestly I thought this is kind of an addition by subtraction thing for the Rams offense because I think that Daryl Henderson is a lot better than, than where yeah. Cam Akers is right now. Um, Cam Akers, like, even beyond just, like, the returning from Achilles tear, he's not seeing the field well. In, like, pass pro, running the ball, it, it it's just not really clicking for him. So I, I think that their offense is going to get uh, a little bit better because the thing is, with their offensive line, the, the plays that you have good blocking, you can't really waste them. And they were getting wasted a lot. And yeah. I, I, I think just, you know, one last point on the Rams and where they are, it, it it's almost where the Saints are to a degree, except they won the Super Bowl, so no one cares as much. Uh, you know, this this season, I think, for the Rams has really been building since Sean McVay got there. Like, when you think about the, the trades that they've made, the free agent signings that they made all throughout the years at wide receiver, at offensive line, and all the turnover that they've had there, trading two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford, trading two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, trading a second-round pick for Von Miller. It worked. It got you the Super Bowl. But now you just kind of have to deal with the back end of it, which I'm sure they're okay with because they won uh, the big game. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure this feeling, this this season's not that fun, but you kind of have to look at uh, the big picture here. This is another one of those situations where the bill has come due. They don't have a lot of like middle tier talent that hasn't hit that second contract yet. That's actually quality talent. And you're seeing it. They don't really have an offensive line. Uh, the defense has taken a little bit of a step back. It's just it, it. it's not what they were hoping for this year to be obviously coming off that Super Bowl win. So what you're telling me is you don't think they should trade a first rounder for Christian McCaffrey. No, I think that's like one of the dumbest things they could do right now. Look, let, let, let Christian go behind a team that Who, can block, block someone. Who's going to do that? The Bills? I mean, I would do it if I were Buffalo. What's yeah. the last piece that we're missing for to try to win a Super Bowl? If, if like it, it might not be conducive for beyond this year, but it's kind of tempting just to see, well, we have the most complete offensive football. Let's go win a Super Bowl. Well, spoiler alert, the Bills are not in our positive surprises because everybody knew they would be good. Yeah. But we will come back from the break and talk about the uh, units that have surprised us in a good way. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Charles, we've waited long enough. It's time to talk about the Atlanta Falcons offense. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so this this is this is what I've been waiting for for yeah. for years. Uh I for a long time, I have succumbed to the idea that this team will never have any real postseason success. That's fine. That's fine. I've accepted that for myself. I just want to be the team that everybody hates to play. Like, Ooh. like as soon as the game is over, you're like, wow, that sucked. We just got our faces caved in 40 times a game. Uh, and it was just a really physical outing. And they have that team. Like, I don't think that this is a great offense. Uh, I think it's a it's a good offense. They, I think for what the pieces that they have, I think Arthur Smith is doing an incredible job. Uh, but it's just... It's really cool to see this offense is so different from what they ran last year. Yeah, they lead the league uh, in in pistol usage according to next gen stats. Uh, they're just hammering people. They got option stuff with Mariota. It's just if if you're a connoisseur of run game schemes, the Atlanta Falcons like they have a little bit of everything that you could look for. Uh, and I think what's most impressive is they've fielded this offense and what they're doing with about $80 million in dead cap that they don't even have Mm. access to this year, which kind of sucks for me because I'm going to be like, well, I need to see some real wins next year then. Uh, But for the time being, I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, I I was a little shaky on the Marcus Mariota acquisition. He's definitely had some bad moments this season, but uh, for a guy who hasn't started for, you know, a few years at this point, I, I think he's been, Okay, he he just won MC Offensive Player of the Week. Arthur Smith is calling his ass off with these play calls and really, I think, protecting the offensive line and the quarterback. It, it's it's a lot of fun. Like my only complaint really is, uh, you you, you spend a top four pick on a tight end and a top eight pick on a wide receiver. Can we get a little bit more action out of them? But it, it's it's yeah. still fun to see uh, a team, especially in this era of football, just be so committed to running the ball and having it work. The stat that i think tells the story of the falcons they're they're a fun team to just run stats on because they're such aberrations and like you know they're like you said the number one pistol team they're no one play action team like they do all the stuff that other teams don't uh is that when they face stacked boxes they are third in epa per play and they face the most stacked boxes in the nfl this year so basically they can run the ball when you expect them to run and because they run the ball so well and so often they generate tons of easy completions from Marcus Mariota. Um, it yeah. is bully ball to the <sighs> max. And and there have been moments where Mariota has not delivered on even that. You know, he he's... And I want to add also, by the way, his mobility obviously plays a role in that too, I should say. Huge like it's role. He looks... He, free, he, he looks so spry to yeah. me. I mean... And he's trying to like run over people too. It's like, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on, Marcus. <laughs> I know it's been a while since you had this opportunity, but let's let's, let's keep the big picture uh in in mind here and I, I think you know their ability to run against stacked boxes is to me it, it's just a master class from arthur smith because and i yeah. I, I should say this because the offensive line 
has definitely exceeded my expectations this year. I mean, it was a disaster last year, the worst offensive line in the league, and they put Elijah Wilkinson at left guard, Drew Dahlman at center, and I I don't even think those guys have been great, but it's it's a it's a, it's a big improvement. But what I think is so impressive is. Arthur Smith just knows how to create numbers in the run game. Like you're going to get a blocker in front of you somewhere against uh, a second level defender. They've they've incorporated this windback play that didn't run last year at all, where they get Drew Dalman out in space, like around the left tackle and running running back behind him. I mean, it's 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 really creative, and I think that you know as much flack as I've given Mariota during the season, <laughs> this is this, this run game is not possible without him because when he's yeah. taken off with the ball. Uh, himself, he's been a good runner. You know, I, I, he's taking care of his fumble issues from earlier in the year. He's finally learning how to slide. Um, I would just say, like, if you are someone who hasn't watched the Falcons and kind of like old school football mixed in with a little new school, like, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I really just can't believe that they have a watchable offense this year because I was expecting this to be, like, one of the worst teams in the league. Well, you mentioned Falcons-Bengals maybe the best game of the weekend. How are you feeling about it before we move on? Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm scared of, you know, the receivers. I don't think the Falcons yeah. have the cornerback talent. Casey Hayward just got put on injury reserve today mm. with a shoulder injury. So I saw that. That's bad. Yeah. That's going to be tough, but I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of getting to the point where I trust Arthur Smith to be able to put up some points against most of the defense that he faces. And, you know, Bring it on, Bengals. We're playing Smash Mouth football again. Uh, Haven't done this since Michael, Turner, since Michael Turner was here. It's good stuff. All right. Um, I'm going to go with this isn't. Well, so th- it sounds obvious, but under the rubric of things that have surprised me, I did not think the Cowboys defense would be this good. In fact, um, when Deontay and I tried to break the best 10 defenses, even though the Cowboys finished like near the top of the NFL in most metrics last year, neither of us, we both thought there would be a prime regression candidate, as did a lot of people. Well, the obvious has happened, or the opposite, pardon me. Uh, They look incredible. And I think the thing I love about them is just how coached up they are. Um, I know Dan Quinn's your guy, so I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this. But I just find them, they're one of my favorites to watch when the L22 drops because I kind of never know what to expect. And you certainly can't see it all from the broadcast angle. Um, just the level of gamesmanship, the different coverages they run, the different pressure looks. It's like they have a lot of talent, incredible talent, obviously up front, but it actually feels like that talent is also being maximized as well through scheme. Yeah, I I, I, I also think that this is the, maybe the most impressive job that that Dan Quinn has done because, because I, I feel like when he was in Seattle, you just had so much name brand talent. It, it especially on the back end, it it was just kind of wild. And I know that you have Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence here, uh, and some other guys uh, like Adigi Zua have played well on the defensive line. But I, like you, you look at the linebackers. The linebacker room is kind of a mess, uh, yeah. just in terms of like who's going to be here past this season. The secondary, Malik Hooker, Malik Hooker's having uh, probably the best year of his career. But I think outside of that, it's not a whole lot of guys that you like really count on to be. Uh, these dudes that that are going to hold up in coverage for the whole game outside of like Trevon Diggs. So um, I think what he's doing is an incredible job. And I feel like the the base of it is still a a lot from what you've seen from him in the past with a lot of cover one and cover three, but he's, he's definitely mixing more two high looks into it. 
Um, I, I think one interesting thing that I see watching the Cowboys defense compared to Dan Quinn's time in Atlanta is they're they're a lot better at some of the too high stuff than they were in Atlanta. And I'm sure that having, you know, Michael Parsons and those guys up front helps. But I think just yeah. like the, the organization, the coordination of it uh, has, has been a little bit better. So, you know, this is th- this is kind of interesting to me because we talk about these guys who come from the Pete Carroll tree and usually we see uh, they kind of struggle to adapt. I mean, you look at what Gus Bradley's doing with the Raiders and the Colts. It's the same thing that he was doing in like 2012. Uh, it, and it's not, it's, it's not working. Uh, but Dan, he, he's, he's adjusted a bit. I think I agree with you. I think he's really maximizing the talent that they have on the roster. When you have someone who's as good as Michael Parsons, just to unleash him and find like a defined role for him, like they did in their defense, it's been just incredible to watch. So uh, yeah, like I, I, I was concerned about the Cowboys defense coming into this year because I was just like, okay, how much of this is going to be turnover regression where they just kind of peter out as an average defense, but no, they're exceeding expectations. They, they're not, you know, racking up interceptions like they were last year, but at the same time, they're playing a lot more steady football on a down to down basis. I think when you have like this good of a four man rush, and when they do the the NASCAR package in particular, it's just insane. But it would be easy to like sit on your laurels, right? And be like, all right, just keep it simple. But when you watch them, I thought, was it, when did they play? Oh, Sunday Night Football. I thought Chris Collinsworth, like whatever you think about Chris Collinsworth, I thought he actually did a really nice job of highlighting all the games and things that they were doing on defense. Um, and the pressure is just constantly coming from different places. The defensive tackles are constantly playing games and running stunts up front. And then behind them, like you, you alluded to this, like, um, you know, their base is that cover one, cover three, but the safeties are constantly spinning in and out of coverages. And it's just, it's, it's really freaking fun, man. Um, like, I don't think top to bottom, they have as much talent at, well, when the Niners are healthy, but I think the combination of just having that pass rush with this scheme is what makes them so damn good so all right you're next uh i'm gonna go with i don't i don't think this is like that that exciting but uh the giants offense being more competent than i thought they would be (laughs) and i it's coming waves because there have been some games like where they've looked like absolute crap but it, it's a it's a step from where they were last year, and my my thing with you know I I, I believe in Dable as as a, a coach and Mike Kafka's kind of grown into his role as a play caller over the last few weeks, but there was a, a lot to make up from where the Giants were last year. I mean they they had a they they spent all their money on Kenny Galladay to really come in and do nothing. Kadarius Tony was in and out in the lineup with injuries and trying to figure out his way into the league. I. Uh, it it was just been kind of a mess, but I think over the past few weeks, they've kind of started to find an identity in the passing game. And uh, something that I've been like internally screaming about to myself is why are you not playing Darius Slayton more? He's probably your best wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, and now he's starting to get on the field more and they're starting to see the impact that he can have. But the 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 story of the Giants offense is, is Saquon Barkley. I mean, he, he's back. He looks healthy again. And um I think that when you have a player like that, that you can just kind of lean on at times, it it just, it, it changes the game for you. You know, I know we talk about the value of running backs and, and all that all the time, but I, I I still think that when you have a guy that is as good as Saquon Barkley back there and he's fully healthy, like that, that can be just a transformative player for your offense. I mean, just go back to 
I don't remember exactly which game it was, maybe like week three or four, but they were basically out of quarterbacks for the game for a, a little bit. And they just went into this wildcat stuff and it worked because Saquon is such a good player. And I think that that kind of shows the ability to adapt to adverse situations within the course of a game, but also at the same time, just building packages and running your best players that get them in space. And I think that they've done a really good job of that with Saquon Barkley. Yeah. I mean, he looks awesome. It's, I mean, you know, some of it is scheme and obviously they do a lot of fun stuff to kind of lose that, but like he, and I'm sure his yards over expectation stats reflect this. They did a couple weeks ago when I checked, like the, he is making the most of every opportunity. It's it that it's, I, I love watching him run. Like yeah, there's something so about his, just his, his balance and acceleration when he gets low. It's just, he looks cool. He looks a cool looking running back. He looks cool. Um, but yeah, they're they're getting the most out of like everything they have on their roster, man. Um I was just telling Nate and Danny this. Uh they are the most efficient offense in the NFL targeting tight ends right now. <laughs> that insane. Daniel Bellinger. Yeah. Uh what was he? Fourth round, I think. Yeah, something uh, like that. Definitely day three. Like um, I mean you just feel well, and it's not a surprise. I mean, some of that was they had that crazy touchdown. I'm sure that's yanking that up a little bit. Um but it doesn't it just feel like he's always wide open every time Daniel Jones boots? Like it's yeah. just it just works. Um, and I think the, the nice thing about the uh, Giants, like, look, I don't think this is one of the better units in the league by any means. But it feels like they could also get better because yeah, right tackle Evan Neal had some struggles at the beginning of the season. You're seeing him improve a little bit. Um, it's a lot of young players like Bellinger, you know, guys like Slayton getting worked into the lineup. Wando Robinson finally coming on, and then Daniel Jones taking care of the football, man. Like, yeah. And I, I think I would say I think if you're a Giants fan, you look at Evan Neal. Maybe there's a little bit concerned about how he's adjusting to the game, but that was the same case for Andrew Thomas too when he was drafted by the Giants. That's true. And now yeah. he he's just locked down. Like I I I feel like he even looks more athletic than he did when he was in college at Georgia. But I uh, you know like like you said, I I really agree with you on the point that there's room for this to get better. Evan Neal can get better. There's still a lot more to squeeze from this passing game, I think. Uh, Kadarius Tony is going to be back at, at some point. Hopefully you can get something out of Kenny Galladay because that's just been a total bust of a free agent signing. But I find it hard to believe that he just forgot how to play football or whatever. I don't, I don't really know what's going on there. That's but there, there's still a lot more to squeeze from this Giants offense. All right. You went the Falcons for your homer pick. I'm going to talk about your Seattle Seahawks offense. Obviously not the defense. Uh, all the defenses showed up against Arizona. Um, okay. So I think it's funny because we've been talking about a lot about coaching and I think teams where it feels like coaches have elevated the talent, some with good talent like Cowboys, some like the Giants where they're really making the most of what they have. Um, the Seahawks are one where the coaching is fine. The offense is fine. You know, it's kind of like a variation of the Rams offense. But Geno Smith, and this has been the most shocking thing, isn't just executing the offense. He is elevating it. Um, I, the I, the thing that's blown my the, my mind the most about his performance is how good he looks when he is pressured and when he is blitzed. I did not think he was capable of that. Charles, did you? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> the, the Geno stuff is so funny because there's... the. the I'm, I I think you know some of these Seahawks tweeters. Uh, my buddy C Mike <laughs> Spin Move was uh, <laughs> saying that he's been Geno pilled like all summer long. I'm like, oh, whatever, dude. Like, I've seen Geno play. <laughs> like, it's fine. Uh, and he, you know, they were right. <laughs> they were right. Uh, 
he's he's been like a legitimate playmaker at the quarterback position, which is not something that I foresaw whatsoever. Uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is, like, I think that he's he's kind of made life easier for someone like DK Metcalf almost because he's been yeah. able to throw the ball uh, downfield. Uh, Tyler Lockett's having a good season. I mean, it's just. If you told me that the Seahawks were going to come out and just absolutely dwarf Russell Wilson's production this year, I wouldn't believe you. But here we are. Geno Smith has kind of changed the math on the timeline of this rebuild, if he can keep this up. Um, And I I, I think it's just such a fascinating story because uh, it kind of makes you look back at at his career. Like, damn, maybe... He should have gotten a little bit more chances to play than he did. Maybe Ben McAdoo was right to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith back when he did that. I don't know. That was the last coach I, to take the Giants to the playoffs. Has Ruiz should Stephen Ruiz, who is friend of the pod and longtime Geno pilled. You, I don't think you can be Geno pilled if you're always in Geno's camp. But he's like the who did, who started 4chan? Who did they find? Uh, who started fortune i don't know don't ask me that well whatever whoever that is that's who steven ruiz is for the gino pill movement him and i don't know actually greg and him greg rosen's on him might have yeah it's ty but he should do like an alternate history of like what if gino what if that punch was never thrown or something um i'll say it goes to go beyond gino insofar as uh, the other reason I, I was I wasn't pessimistic about the Seahawks offense, but I was you know I think appropriately skeptical. It's the fact that they're starting two rookie tackles, two rookie tackles. Yeah. And through the first six weeks of the season, whenever there's been issues in pass pro, I mean I, Charles Cross has had a little bit of up and down. It's mostly been the interior of the offensive line. Uh, the ta- rookie tackles have played very well, certainly exceeding anyone's expectations. Yeah, they're rookies. Um... And I, I, you know, I'm not surprised that Charles Cross has, has played well. And I, I, Nick Bosa got him a few times in that in yeah, that earlier game, but yeah. I mean that's it's Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa. Uh, Abe Lucas has been great too, and yeah. and, and it, it just goes back to like the the preseason analysis of this team. Are right, you going to tell me that a team is starting Geno Smith and two rookie offensive tackles, uh, and they're going to be one of the best passing offenses in the Crazy. league? Okay, yeah, sure. You're going to tell me Geno Smith is going to be throwing haymakers while Abe Lucas goes one on one with Cam Jordan? Okay, yeah, that that's crazy talk. But here they are. Um, and I, I don't think that there's a better pick in general for more for, for the best surprises here because it has to be the Seattle Seahawks. I don't really know any people that would have been considered sane <laughs> before the season yeah. saying, Yeah, Geno Smith, he's gonna come in and lock in this quarterback job. But that's exactly what he's done. Kenneth Walker looks great too. Yeah, I, dude, Rashad have- Penny was playing well before he got hurt. <sighs> I mean, Poor guy. Yeah. Feel bad for him. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the Seahawks and the Falcons are two offenses that I legitimately enjoy watching. <laughs> I yeah. did not see that coming. So it, it's funny because yeah. I feel like when you're in the, when you're in the off season and you're far away from it, you look at it and you're like, man, let, let's just tank this season and, and yeah. move on. But then when you actually get into the thick of it, no, I want to win these games. Like I want to watch yeah. you play well. There's only 17 football games in the season. Then we'll deal with the off season when we get to it. Uh, oh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. All right. Who's your last positive surprise? Uh, I'm going to go with the Jets defense. Uh, your account. Yeah. Old account. Sorry. Old account. Old account. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be back in MetLife sometime soon in the coming weeks, which is mixed feelings. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Uh, I, 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 I feel like this is fun because I'm someone who I, I play defensive line. Uh, in high school and college, I coached defensive line for one year at a high school in Maryland. Like that, 
is my favorite position to watch and to evaluate and to analyze. And I've always loved, you know, I, I still I still have a place in my heart for like the four man front schemes where they're just like, all right, you guys get up the field and the linebackers are just gonna clean up for you off of any habit you create. And that's what at the essence of like Robert Saleh's philosophy, like that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to get up the field and it worked so great in, in San Francisco with Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, D Ford for a little bit. I mean, you need a lot of talent to get it done, but when you have the guys that can really just penetrate up the field, it's such a fun style of defense to watch. And that's where they are right now. Uh, last year, it didn't quite work out for them with the injuries, but now Quinn and Williams, maybe that that slight from Jeff Ulbrich is what he needed to really get motivated for the rest of the season because he's been dominant. Carl Lawson is back to his getting a million pressures, no sacks kind of thing. Uh, but it, it, it's just a really fun style of football to watch. The defensive line is getting on the field. you got big hitters like Quincy Williams at linebacker. And then at cornerback, Sauce, Sauce Gardner has been unbelievable this, this year. And I think what's so cool about him is a 6-3 corner that has the agility of someone much smaller than him and can really click and close down on the ball. Um, he's, he's a really, really exciting young cornerback prospect. And then they found another good guy across from him. Uh, in DJ Reed. So, you know, you you got two good cornerbacks. You got a really aggressive, fast defensive line that's fit perfectly into Robert Saleh's scheme. I I did not imagine that this year I would be like, oh man, I can't wait to watch the Jets defense to see what Quentin Williams is doing, to see what Bryce Huff is doing, to see what Carl Loss is doing. But man, they they really have some juice up there. Um Scott Garner's defensive rookie of the year, correct? Uh yeah, he he would he would he would be my pick. Hard to see. I mean, Stingley's like been good Wollen. too. Yeah, three has been good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just think in terms of like how complete he's been. I mean, he's been like literally everything they would have asked for, and more. Um, yeah, I, I I thought Dan Orlowski had an interesting point the other day on Twitter. He was talking about how unusual it is to see a four three where like the best player is defensive tackle. Talking about Williams, I guess he was probably watching the Packers game. Um, but it 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 kind of is one of those things where because of the nature of this defensive scheme, you do need all, yeah. you, you needed Lawson to come back, right? And you you need all of these players um, to kind of bring them get the most out of each other. I mean, it does it, you know it reminds me a little bit at times of watching not just the Niners but some of those Seahawks defensive lines um, and what they do in the back end is a little different. But yeah, it's um, it, they feel talented. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's I think I think to Dan's point, like it's kind of old school. Like when you yeah. think about. <laughs> The four-man front, we need our best player to be a defensive tackle. I'm thinking like Warren Sapp, Bryant Young, uh, guys in that era of football. And, you know, it, it's 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 fun to watch because I, I think they're kind of tapping into something that gets a lot of people excited. I mean, when you think about fun, explosive defensive line play, you're you're just cutting these guys loose and telling them to go make a play. Yeah. Um, and and that's what what this defense has been. And uh they and it's kind of like the Giants. Like they still even have some room to get better. I think because uh, you can add another guy to the edge if you want to, or you know, hopefully get Jermaine Johnson going when he gets back. It's it's just there's a lot of excitement there. There's a lot of juice. And if you're just if you're someone who's just looking to see, all right, who's next up on you know the next great good defensive run. I think the Jets might be on that list just because they're really starting to acquire players that fit in, well into the modern NFL. Uh, and they're just getting cut loose, and it's a lot of fun to watch. 
Four and two New York Jets are playing the two and four Denver Broncos this weekend. Wow, that feels terrible ugly. Game. Terrible game. Ugly. I mean, yeah, ugly the, offensively. Two, yeah, two great defenses against not two great offenses. It's going to be Brees Hall fighting for his life again. <laughs> he, I mean, you can't run on the Broncos, so we'll yeah. see. I mean, he yeah. looks freaking incredible. Um, okay, I'm going to finish with one that um, maybe might be a little bit more surprising, uh, something that I've been, again, surprised by in a good way, and that is the Patriots defense. Charles, I thought they would be really bad. I mean, I guess it really bad is wrong because it's a Bill Belichick defense, so I didn't think they would be really bad. But I thought I looked at this cornerback room and, you know, some of I guess I just didn't find the whole group to be that talented front to back. You know, I was like, eh, I like Christian Barmore. Judon was good last year. But I certainly didn't think that they would be as good as they've been, especially in recent weeks, which is why they're now fourth in defensive efficient APA play. Um, they just sort of – where to begin? Um, watching the Cleveland game in particular, which is – we talked about the other side of the ball, the Cleveland defense. It was like kind of like the opposite, uh, like watching a defense that came in with a in- clear intention to shut down the run – um and also like didn't have any like commute is so well coached on the back end um you know they came in they played with all three of their safeties on the field and the combination of them and then their defensive line they, they were so disciplined against cleveland's run game and it was just a reminder of why you don't bet against bill belichick for me <laughs> yeah the they just they did it again. I don't know, like for for lack of a better term, they did it again. Uh, they've man, like I, I I feel like they're 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 scouting of cornerbacks. Gets, it gets a little underrated sometimes because they they have taken if like if you want if you want a good chuckle, like just go with the Pro Football Reference and isolate it for second round defensive backs that Bill Belichick has picked. It's not a great track record. But I think when you the more dice rolls you take, the more darts you throw, you find a Jack Jones. You find a JC Jackson who, you know, played well for you for a long time. Uh you find a Jonathan Jones who has been a, a solid man coverage corner for them yeah. for a while. It it's it, it's really impressive how every year Belichick because I, I think when you look at a lot of defensive coordinators, they would look at this defense in this group of players and say, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like I, yeah. this is the Island of misfit toys. You know, I'm trying to shove square cubes into rounds, round holes, and I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. But with Belichick, he always seems to find roles for players that, that make sense for them. And then to be able to construct the defense around it, it, it to me, it's what makes him such, uh, such an impressive coach. Like a, a lot of teams, if they had someone like Jawan Bentley, that guy would be just he looks a to- great. Yeah, he looks, he great. looks great. He looks great. But I think for a lot of teams, it wouldn't work yeah. for that. But for I mean, Elche, yeah. he you go be my sledgehammer that Dante Hightower was, and then we will figure out the rest. And I can't imagine a coach that does it better than him. I mean, it's like combination of like, you know, random draft picks like Kyle Duggar and uh and then a lot of Wise, I think was a second rounder. He was excellent. And then a lot of um like they've made really good signings in free agency. Uh, I mean, Matt Judon at this point probably looks like one of the best free agent signings of the last three years. Um, oh yeah, he is. He actually looks better this year than he did, and he was great last year. He kind of tailed off towards the end, but like uh, his run defense was so important in this game. I mean, he he 
he looks like he we don't talk about him as one of the better edge rushers in the league, but we probably should because of how complete his game is. And yeah, I just and they did some of that, too. They do a really good job of scheming up one on ones for him. But I just I don't I, I still don't feel like this is one of the elite units in the league, even if they're fourth in APA per player or whatever. But, you know, they just played the Lions and the Browns. Those are two good offenses and they shut them down. So credit where credit's due. Billy B does it again. All right. Let's take a quick break, come back, and actually talk about some football games. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Okay. We're going to have to talk about some games. We don't have to, but we're going to. It's it's bleak. It's not great. It's not great. All right. As always, four questions from me, one from Lenny. Question number one. I'm just going to ask questions. I'm not going to ask you to pick games. I'm just going to ask questions about the games. Are you ready? Yep. Question one. Colts, Titans. No. Do you think people outside of Tennessee have watched Titans football this year? Uh, no. Because why would you? I don't know. Titans said they're so angry right now because I never talk about them and I just asked such a disrespectful question. I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll talk about them next week. Uh, maybe. I've watched a little bit. Maybe so. next week. I don't know. But to me, this is a team that... Yeah, they're three and two, but I don't know. It kind of feels like fake noise like last year. Yeah. Uh, Who's going to win this one? Uh, I said I, I wouldn't do that, but I do gen- legitimately want to know. Well, I'm, I'll just go with Matty Ice. How about that? But, but both these teams have negative yeah. point differentials on the season. I don't think either of these teams are playing particularly well. So I, I I don't feel strongly either way about that team about that game. And to be honest with you, that's probably just going to be a condensed game I throw on the background. Giants, Jaguars. So this one is tricky for me. Um, tricky because I actually think the Giants have been pretty consistent. Like, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on who they are and the Jags less so. Do it, you feel like... Oh, sorry. No, I was about to say, it's weird that I think a team that's 2-4 and four at the peak of their powers is better than a 5-1 and one team. But Right. That's what makes this tricky because the Jaguars have been kind of more a roller coaster. Like, I think... There are games where their quarterback just looks really good and their four-man rush looks awesome. And then there are games where it all falls apart and they kind of look like they did last year. So uh, I guess let me ask you this. Like, what's your temperature right now with Trevor Lawrence? Um, I don't think I'm as high on him as maybe some of my friends are. But Me neither. I, right now, maybe it could change. Yeah, yeah like I don't I – don't, I, he, he's probably – to me, to me at least, he's probably not this generational guy that can just – Okay, it's I'm gonna put this whole thing in my back, and we're gonna it's gonna move down the field. Uh, but he's still, I think he's definitely still good. I think I think he can definitely still be in like that top four to eight range when it's all said and done, like right outside the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, absolute freak of nature tier. Um, so yeah, I, I I think he's good. To me, this is coming on. Uh, it's coming along his progress a little bit slower than I would have expected. And I know the Urban Meyer year. That is almost seen as a wash, but I don't know. I would I would hope for a little bit more consistency in year two. Browns, Ravens, uh, given what we just said about the Browns defense and, of course, the Ravens recent implosions, this feels like a must win. If you had to pinpoint one problem with Baltimore, what would it be? Um, I, I, the, the, it's not even like a real thing, but it's just... I feel like they're pressing too much a little bit in these late game situations. Yeah. Like, I, I think Lamar is as talented as he gets, 
absolutely should get his money from the Ravens. Um, whatever contract they pay him, it'll probably end up being worth it. But y- you can't be making these mistakes at the end of games. And then I think on the flip side, if you're the Ravens defense, like, man, there's been a handful of games this year, three, all three of their losses, really, where the offense has put together a multi-possession league and they haven't been able to hold on to it. So uh, to me, it just feels like they're pressing. Maybe they are still getting used to uh, Mike McDonald's defense uh, over there as he comes over from Michigan. But uh, it's like the whole team is just pushing a little bit too hard. I think they need to reel it back in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like mental mistakes. I don't know, because I think when you look at some of their advanced stats, they still look like one of the better teams in the league. But Well, they do for like much of the game. (laughs) Yeah, for much of the game, yeah. All right, last claim I want to ask you about. Packers, Commanders, people in Packers. Because I want to talk about the Packers. It's just a way to shoot that in. Okay. Panicking. Packers fans are panicking right now. You're very close with uh, Justice Mosquito comes on the podcast. I imagine his emotional state right now is not great oh it's hilarious um i'm loving it <laughs> every week there's just a meltdown in my phone it's it's really good stuff uh i'm gonna ask you the exact same kind of question i did about the ravens which is what is the single biggest issue with this packers offense uh, they it's don't tricky. have they don't have the dudes to me that's 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 the biggest problem um sammy Watkins has been hurt offensive lines been banged up they're doing they've been doing a weird thing where they're rotating Bakhtiara and ninjman at left tackle uh, Eldon Jenkins has been playing out of position. I mean, it's not – I, I just really just don't think they have uh, the players. And to me, I think an underrated part about the Aaron Rodgers experience, especially in, in recent years, maybe since like McCarthy's last season in Green Bay, when he's not feeling it, it it, it can go south really fast. You know, I remember when when, when they were playing the Giants um, on in the London game a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to Justice during the game. And there was a point where he was like, all right, here comes Hero Ball Aaron. They're going to go three and out. He's going to chuck the ball down the field three or twice at least. And that's exactly what he did. It's like he is used to almost just playing an offense that can generate these big plays at ease that it's become a little bit more difficult to just kind of sit back and like, all right, we got two rookie wide receivers, Sammy Watkins out, offensive line banged up. If we're going to be real, like, our two most consistent skill players are running backs and the offensive line isn't playing well. So I, I really think for the most part, it's just uh, it, it's a personnel thing that we probably should have expected a little bit more coming into the season. Yeah. There are like drives where despite the personnel, it, it looks consistent enough because the run game is efficient. RPO game still works and you're kind of like, all right, you know, you can just kind of grind these out. But they kind of go away from it, or I guess Rogers goes away. From, I don't know. It's it's a tough it's way to play. It's it's a tough way it's, to, to yeah. just sit there. We're gonna we're gonna live four to six yards at a time. That's right. not really what we're used to from the Green Bay Packers. But I think the reality of the situation is that's kind of how they have to play until these guys get some more experience. I know the motion comment where Rogers complained about the motion. <laughs> yeah, he wants less motion. Comments. Less motion. Um, I mean, what do you think that's about? I, I was um, trying to puzzle through, thinking about like the struggles in the offense, like you know, because it's there have been some quarterbacks yeah. where they look at it and they're like, you know, I, I am my brain is so big that I see right. what what the defense is going to be doing before the ball snapped, and I don't want that picture to change because I know where I'm going to go with the ball uh, before the play snapped. You know, maybe that's it, but overall, I I can't really see 
why motion would be affecting someone who has as much experience as Aaron Rodgers does playing the NFL. Yeah, I think what he meant was we're not talented enough. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not good enough to be doing all this this <laughs> oh, you know man. the magic stuff before the snap. Well, they should win against the Commanders, so it's kind of a moot point. All right, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Uh, he saw you recently wrote about Bryce Young. Is that true? That is true. Uh, so his I didn't I haven't read that yet, but I'm sure it's really great. His question is, how are you going to feel when Atlanta wins just too many games to not get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud? I'm fine because we have our quarterback of the future on the roster, Desmond Ritter, and he's going to light it up for uh, the next decade. <laughs> I'm Gino Pilled, so I'm also fine. Yeah. yeah, we're good. We're healthy. Bring me Will Anderson. <laughs> <laughs>